Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, we'll come to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch and talk calmly about some things that maybe we need to think about. Sometimes we need to get a little distant from the life we're in to see it in a perspective that's correct. If you've listened to Nighttime before, you realize that I keep telling you that God doesn't have a perspective. He sees everything the way it really is. So I guess the word perspective wouldn't use, wouldn't be proper in that case. And if I saw everything absolutely the way it is, then I wouldn't have perspective either. I think sometimes we live our life trying to take that characteristic of God and make it ours. Whatever we see, whatever we feel, whatever we desire, whatever it might be, we say that's true. But what if we could get away from the closeness to the situation that we are and get to a point where we can look at it from a little bit of a distance and use God's word to filter out things so that we could see what's true and right and honorable. You might be saying today, are you calling me wrong, Dave, on this or that? And I'm, I might be, but I don't know. Because no matter what I tell you, I have perspective as well. And I promise you that I don't get up in the morning and say, well, today I hope to do a bunch of really bad, stupid things. No, in fact, everything I do today is going to be justified through my perspective. That's why it's important that we get out of our perspective every once in a while and take a look at what's going on around us from a little bit of a distance. As you are in God's Word in the morning or whenever you're in God's Word, as you think and meditate on it, you're getting truth poured into your life. And you can use that truth to evaluate what you're doing in life. Kind of getting a little bit of a distance and seeing what God says, the one without perspective, the one without opinions, and see what he says and apply it to your life. I think that's hard because all of us have our nose so pressed against what's going on. The illustration I've given so often is our nose is pressed against an elephant, so we think it's dark and, and dingy and smelly. But life isn't dark and dingy and smelly. Oh, it, it is for those who don't know Christ, for those who try to live their life apart from God, because there's no satisfaction in life then. So there's no hope in the darkness. The darkness is all they've got. And no matter what they do to keep trying to bring light into darkness, there isn't any because they're not allowing it. Today, more than ever, we are integrated if you want to call it, in our culture with depression and anger and anxiety. I believe it's because we're all living our lives in our own perspective, thinking that our perspective is truth. It's really not. It's just our perspective. That's why I enjoy getting into the Bible so much, because I can relax and know that whatever's said there, the way that it's said, it's, it's true. I can find something I can trust in. You can't do that on the internet. At my age, you've been through a few health issues, and my wife has been through cancer and some other health issues, and you can get all kinds of advice online. 
eventually you're totally confused because one person will tell you one thing, another person will tell you another, and you have no idea what to believe or what to do. And eventually you've got to make a choice in the context of what you think is right. And that choice may be wrong. I remember when my dad suffered a heart attack many, many, many years ago when I was just starting my teaching career. I believe it was the fall of 1978. And back then they said, yeah, if you eat margarine and all this other stuff, you're, you're going to be much healthier because what causes heart attacks is butter and bacon and eggs and all that kind of thing. So just eat egg whites and just eat the margarine because it's better for you. So my dad went out and he got margarine and did all this kind of good stuff that the doctor said. And I wish I could remember that diet completely because today the doctors are saying the opposite. Don't eat margarine. It's got hydrogenated whatever in it. And it's bad for you. You see, we keep learning as people. Our perspectives are always changing. We'd like to think that we know the truth today, and really we make decisions based on the fact that we believe it's right. The problem with that is that belief doesn't make anything right. Belief is just belief. And if we're going to know what's right, we need to get outside of our belief system, look to the scriptures, see what God says, and then put our belief in something that is right. Because belief by itself can be very strong, very powerful, but it doesn't constitute a, a part of making anything right or wrong. I like the story in John 12, 1 to 8, where Mary anoints Jesus with this expensive perfume. Watchman Nee, and I'll read more of him later, uh, points out that the disciples were basically saying, why the waste? Why, why are we wasting this resource? Was it a waste? Well, from some of the perspective that day, it certainly was. But from some, it was not. Jesus didn't think it was a waste. Obviously, Mary didn't think it was a waste. Judas thought it was a waste. Some of the other disciples most likely thought it was a waste, but, but not the two involved in the act. What did they know that the others didn't? Let me read it to you. John 12, 1-8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. 
for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Interesting. Jesus, who doesn't have a perspective, said, leave her alone. This is an act of her heart. She is demonstrating a tremendous amount of love to me. It's not a waste. To Judas, it was a waste. There's an interesting discussion just thinking about how Jesus dealt with Judas. He could have exposed him right there as a thief. He could have thrown him under the bus in front of the other disciples. He could have talked him into a corner. He didn't. The evil in Judas's life would eventually be recognized by all, including Judas. He'll get to a point in life where he realized what he did, what he was, that his perspective, you know, and he had one, his perspective made him think that he could take that money and that he deserved it or something, that it wasn't stealing or that it was, but he had a good reason for stealing or whatever it might be. I promise you that whatever he did, he did for a good reason in his own mind. But he was still wrong. I wonder how many times I do things that I have a really good reason for, but I'm still wrong. Once again, I don't do things intentionally to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong. But it's so easy. Just follow your desires. And you justify what you do. I believe Watchman Nee wrote this. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever the gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, that also which this woman hath done shall be spoken for a memorial to her. Mark 14, 9, speaking of Mary, who just anointed Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. The Lord has ordained that the story of Mary anointing him with that costly ointment should always accompany the story of the gospel. That what Mary has done should always be coupled with what the Lord has done. That is his own statement. What does he intend that we should understand by it? I think we all know the story of Mary's action well from the details given in John 12 where the incident follows not long after her brother's restoration to life. We may gather that the family was not specifically a wealthy one. The sisters had to work the house themselves, for we are told that at this feast Martha also served. No doubt every penny mattered to them. Yet one of those sisters, Mary, having among her treasures an alabaster cruise containing 300 pence worth of ointment, expended the whole thing on the Lord. Human reasoning said this was really too much. It was giving the Lord more than his due. That is why Judas took the lead and the other disciples supported him in voicing a general complaint that Mary's actions was a wasteful one. So we read, there were some that had indignation among them, saying, To what purpose has this waste of ointment been made? For this ointment might have been sold for above 300 pence and given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Mark 14, 4 and 5. What is waste? Waste means, among other things, giving more than is necessary. If a dime will do and you give a dollar, it is a waste. 
If two ounces will do and you give a pound, it is a waste. If three days will suffice to finish a task well enough and you've lavished five days or a week on it, it is a waste. Waste means that you give something too much for something too little. If something is receiving more than he is considered to be worth, then it is a waste. Was this a waste? Of course not, because Jesus said it wasn't. Jesus, the one who doesn't have perspective, said, no, this is right. You see, when we give everything to God, we give everything to God. It's all his. And, and that's not just a saying. That should be de demonstrable. We, we should be able to demonstrate it. It's, it's the idea. I mean, I can lie to myself and say everything I own is God's. But it, does God really control everything I own? See, it, it's easy to talk in a way that makes me justify everything I do. What I need to understand is that my trust always is 100% in God. Not in nard, not in perfumes, not in money, not in any human security on this earth. Americans especially are concerned with their productivity. We need to look at what's been accomplished today in order to feel good about who we are and what we are and what we're doing. Sometimes sitting and meditating and thinking is put to the back shelf. You don't get paid for that. You don't get paid for thinking. You don't get paid for just sitting and, as I did this morning, sit and stare at a fire. It's warming a room with snow all around and thought about these things that I'm talking about this morning. You see, it's important for us to spend time in thought. You say, well, that time doesn't become very productive. That's an American thought. Not only that, my American thought would say, well, how can I capitalize on these thoughts? Can I write a book and sell it? Can I be a best-selling author on the New York, whatever they have for a list. That's not the point. When I spend time with God, when I spend time sitting at his feet, when I spend time in the shadow of the Almighty, that's not wasted time. Oh, I, I don't know what I get out of it. I don't know what is given to me. I get to share with you, though, because the thoughts are there. So I guess that's the value of it. But I don't market this podcast. I don't market anything. All the books I've written, all that money goes somewhere else. It doesn't come to me. Years ago, I realized that we don't use God to make money. We don't do that. Oh, it's not that I don't get a salary from Silver Birch Ranch. I do. But we give a salary to the people who work here. and. They have to do all kinds of things, from clean cabins to speak like I'm doing or do podcasts if that's their thing. Or, and at the end of the month, if God has supplied, we, we give them a paycheck. But it's not that we want to use the speaking or the writing. Or Years ago, I was convicted of that. I remember once when I was making very little money, and this was way back maybe in 19... 
early 80s. And I spoke at a church, and they just needed somebody to fill in, and I did. And they took an offering, and I remember the amount of the offering. To me, it was huge. And they handed me all this cash. And I thought about that for a while, and I thought, I just read the Bible and talked about what was in it. And these people took a collection and gave me quite a bit of money. My human thought, my first human perspective thought was, I need to remember that message. That message has a good return. And immediately it was like the Spirit came down in my heart and said, Really? Is that what you're going to use God's Word for? Is that what you have been called to do? Is to use what I have said so that you can make a lot of money? And I remember that day vowing to God that I wouldn't take money that way, that I would live on my salary that I've been given from this camp, and that all the other stuff would go back to the camp or back to some kind of work that God would be doing. To this day, I think about that moment. I think it was one of those critical moments in life I've talked to many that are ministry sense about what they do, and, and really, I'm not judging their hearts and how they do things. Just I, I don't know how we can put a price on what God has said. When, if you were to come to me and ask me, where do you come up with all this, or how do you do it, I would go, you know what, I just steal it all. I know the word steal is kind of tough, but I, I take it from the Bible and just read it and say, look, it looks what's said here, and then I talk about it. But that wasn't me. That's what God said. Or I just read Watchman Nee. I steal it from him. Or I, I like to read the biblical illustrator or Spurgeon. Or, and in the end, I think, I don't know that I've ever had a thought that came from my own head. But would I be willing to profit from these thoughts that have come from elsewhere. Not only that, if it's really something that has changed a life or, or helped somebody, it's the Spirit of God who did that, not Dave. I'm just a servant. And really, through the years, I feel like I've been relieved of a burden. Because I go places and there are people that give me money that's far more than they should have. And you go other places and there's people that give you very little money and didn't even cover your expenses for coming. But in the end, it all works out. See, the message gets to go out and it goes to the poor and to the rich alike. To those who can spend a lot of money and those who don't. Now, one day, my salary at Silver Birch Ranch will end, and I'm not sure what God's going to do to take care of me at that point. We'll cross that bridge when it comes. I do know that making money off of God's Word is not healthy. It belongs to God. I think that Mary, when she anointed Jesus' feet with this nard, understood that all that she had that was valuable came from God. She was just giving it back. She understood that it was God who needed to take care of her as she got older. It was God that needed to provide for her. She was just giving back. 
I encourage you to go into that passage and, and see the perspective that's there from all the different angles and realize that what Jesus said is absolutely right. Luke ten thirty eight. before that talks about what was going on there, it says, now they went on their way. Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Once again, there's a perspective sown right through there. Not on God's part. Jesus didn't have the perspective. He told it the way it was. You know, Martha, I understand that it's important that you serve. I understand it's important that you work. But the relational side of this is more important. And Mary understands that. And she's sitting, demonstrating the fact that he understands, that she understands that. I think that Satan is uh, called the prince of the power of the air, and that's a significant uh, statement. Once again, as I was reading The Christian in Complete Armor by Grinnell, yes, stealing information again that I could pass on to people, I was thinking about how Satan uses confusion. Confusion is Satan's nuclear weapon of choice. It's totally ineffective against someone armed with a truth dome, though. You know they have that iron dome in Israel, right? And the iron dome will shoot down all these missiles that come into Israel and, and basically render them ineffective. I pictured myself with a, a truth dome, the Bible. And as Satan fires missiles of doubt and fires missiles of anger and confusion, I can just shoot them down with the truth dome. I, I may be totally out of my league here trying to compare those because I'm not a military person and I certainly don't know what the truth dome, how the truth dome operates or how the iron dome operates. But I do know that God's truth can shoot down any of the lies of Satan. I think that anxiety is all fueled by confusion. Depression is fueled by confusion. Anger is fueled by confusion. Greed, fueled by confusion. Lust, fueled by confusion. Covetousness is fueled by confusion. Gossip is fueled by confusion. Gluttony, fueled by confusion. See, what happens is Satan tries to make the simple complex think about it. Think about it when it comes to um, the way the world was created. God says, in the beginning, God. Okay, I stopped there because it doesn't say in the beginning, Dave. So, so far, things are pretty simple. There was no Dave in the beginning. In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. So, how did the heavens and the earth come into existence? By God. 
Now, now look what we have done through time. If you ask anyone how the universe came into existence, they're going to share some tidbit of knowledge with you that came from somewhere and caused confusion. I have no confusion as to how the world and the universe was created or why. Depression fueled by confusion. Yeah, we're trying to find significance and security apart from God. When the only significance and security that's ever available comes from God. So a, a nation or a group of people that tries to exclude God from their lives is going to struggle with depression because of the fact that they're living outside the context of the way it's meant to be. Anger. Same thing. It's fueled by confusion. We're confused over what our rights really are. I'm a slave. I have no rights. My master is the one who watches over me. I do what he tells me to do. He'll take care of me. Lust fueled by confusion. Wanting what God says we shouldn't want. Wanting what we don't have. Or covetousness. The same kind of idea. We, we're confused by thinking that if we had a little bit of this, we had that guy's wife, we had the, we'd be happier. It's not how it happens. Gossip fueled by confusion. We talk about other people because we want to make sure that we're above them. We're not above anybody. The body, if we understand it, is compared to the body. We're the body. I'm an elbow, a knee, a, an ankle, or whatever I am. And it would be ludicrous for me to start talking about the parts of the body that are most important and the parts of the body that are least important. Gluttony fueled by confusion, thinking that I can find satisfaction by being somebody who eats too much. We can't really appreciate the truth unless we see the contrast in life. When I look around right now, I, I look at a world that is totally confused. They talk about love while they're all self-centered. They talk about the value of life while they killed the innocent in the womb. You take a look at what's going on in the wars around the world and the, the inhumane treatment that one nation can give to another one because of what? Land? You and I need to understand that God created us to love him and to love one another. And that is the truth. There's a whole lot of relaxation that can be done when you walk in the shadow of the Almighty. He doesn't want us to live our lives in constant tension. We need to come to God, open his word, and realize that, yes, there is no perspective here. This is only truth. Families actually have structure. One man, one woman, married and committed to each other for life, for the good of the family and the good of the kingdom. He made males and females. That's not up for discussion. There, there need be no confusion in that. He made animals different than humans. He made trees different than animals. He's the creator and sustainer of all life, and therefore, the only one that knows why life exists in the first place. 
If we exclude him from our lives, we have no hope, we have no light, we have no purpose, we have no significance, we have no security. We cannot exclude him from our life. But the choice is ours while we live on this planet because of God loving us and knowing that love demands a choice. So I get to either include him and come to him and learn from him or ignore him and make the whole thing up. There are consequences to both sides of that. Sometimes we only use the word consequence when we're talking about something bad, but there are consequences to walking with God and listening to him and ignoring God. You're going to choose which consequences you have to live with and die with. Well, once again, I come to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch. My name is Dave Wager, and I'm thankful you spent some time listening to some calm thoughts. I pray that somehow you'll see something that God is saying there and be able to apply it to your life as I do. Good night for now. Thank you.